0: Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. In partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media mantra. Hello and welcome to Long Time Shorts, a new series of shorter-than-usual episodes of A Long Time in Finance each one of which gives you a quick hit of financials history from the debt jubilee of ancient Babylon to the latest crypto calamities.
1: A very long time ago I started work on the stock exchange and it was an extraordinary place and it was full of two types of People really. There was the uh, the brokers who generally were overeducated and often not terribly bright, and the jobbers who were the wholesalers essentially, who were more like barrow boys and had little education, but they were very bright, and the two cohabited in this rather strange universe.
0: Take us back to day one of a nervous young Neil Collins arrives on the. Well, it was a bit of a Victorian mausoleum, was it? Was it anyway. No, it was a, there, it was it was a trading floor. they modernise it. The okay. trading
1: floor was quite lively. Right. And I was what was called a blue button, which meant that I could go onto the trading floor, but I mm-hmm. couldn't trade. Right. And so, so... What could you do? Take take instruction, I <laughs> think. Okay. And so you were collect,
0: running around with bits of paper. Collect
1: prices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Running around with bits of paper, seeing what was on the jobbers' boards, relaying the information back, Answering the telephones in the in the stockbrokers' so they, <laughs> they had telephones,
0: they had telephones,
1: and they used to come with flashing lights. And I remember my first day, I answered the telephone, heard something, took an instruction, another phone immediately rang, and I completely forgot about the first one. Ah. Uh, and that was a kind of and was that a big order serious <laughs> error yeah. So I never answered the phone again without a pencil and paper in my hand. Ah, okay. uh, because otherwise I would have been completely lost. I mean, there were about thirty telephones round the walls of this box, right. which was about nine feet square, I suppose.
0: So, so situate us in time. We're talking about the city in when the this mid seventies, late the early seventies, <laughs> late sixties.
1: This is, is nineteen sixty-eight. Yes, sixty-eight. Okay. When the FT thirty share index reached its all-time peak in real terms. It was quite extraordinary, September 1968.
0: And it was all downhill from there. It was downhill (laughs) ever since
1: I got there, yeah. And obviously I was the thing that uh, corroded it to the point where it was no longer sustainable. The stock exchange and the stock market carried on in its own little way, its own little club, for a lot longer than that. Mm. And it carried on. Hardly noticing that the city of London was changed out of all recognition, Mm. partly by the uh, euro dollar market, which saw huge billions of dollars parked in London because they didn't want to take them home to America because Mm. they'd be taxed, partly through the emergence of derivatives of one sort or another. And the stock exchange just carried on quite happily in its own little bubble. But having said that, it was a key price setter for a lot of securities. And that is a very important role. So the derivatives, which were much bigger, were all priced off the stock prices which were posted in the stock
0: exchange. Okay, so it's a, it's very important but it's a, it's becoming as you say even despite the infusion of uh, Collins energy and <laughs> enthusiasm and, and <laughs> pencils. It's becoming a bit of a backwater and it's sort of not very Im- important in terms of what I mean all it's very important it's not economically becoming very significant in terms of what the city actually does for a living because yeah, I think it's, that's it's, right it's just and stuck in in the Victorian past yeah. with people in bowler hats and
1: to be fair the labor administration under Wilson Callahan saw this and insisted that this restrictive practice which allowed fixed commissions okay uh, so
0: if i buy a share i have to pay you mr collins the broker Three percent, was it? No, it was less than that. Okay. But, but it was, some fixed percentage. Yeah. It was, and you I couldn't I couldn't ask for volume discount. I just had to yeah, play, so pay got, up on the nail. No,
1: no, there were all sorts of quirks and oddities.
0: So I couldn't negotiate?
1: No, no, you couldn't negotiate, but there are certain bands at which you got lower commissions. Oh, I see. And if the broker found a buyer and a seller of the same stock, then there was another set of
0: rules. Okay, let's not go into them.
1: (laughs) As always with these things, nothing is ever simple. But essentially, the commissions were fixed and you couldn't do anything about them.
0: Right, but the world is beginning to change in the 70s, isn't it? Because uh, America has had a similar system but got rid of it. Don't know what's happening in Europe. Probably they're just really not very interested in stocks and shares at all. I think that's right. Right, so as you say, Callahan and Harold Wilson scratch their chins and decide to look into whether there could be some yeah. some fishy business going on in the square mile.
1: So they found a man called Gordon borry oh, yes, uh, who ran the Office of Fair Trading. Mm. And, he, and they said, please look into this because it's a restrictive practice. Mm. And he started doing so, and the, I think you could call it, the Stock Exchange Club immediately started playing for time here. Mm. But then Labour lost the next election, mm. and the Tories, uh, much the disappointment of many of the stockbroking friends, decided to continue with this. So the Office of Fair Trading stepped up its its investigation and was on the point of starting court case
0: against the stock exchange so the stock exchange is his backs to the wall what, what what happened then
1: well the stock exchange had a chairman called nicholas goodison who although he looked like a sort of brisk breeze would blow him away was actually quite a tough character mm-hmm. and he led the rear guard action and he produced or his uh, his office produced half a million documents basically just to try and clog up the court so to, to play for time so that it would go on as long as possible and keep this cozy cartel going.
0: Right. And So he didn't think he could win he just thought he'd just I carry on boring believe, everyone to death.
1: I can't believe he thought he would win because it was clearly a restrictive practice right. and it was not obviously in the public interest. So if you have a restrictive practice that's not in the public interest you shouldn't allow it to continue right I think he realized that this was not a great way to behave and eventually wrote a letter to the so uh, when was this uh the
0: summer of 83
1: I think that sounds right yes to <laughs> Cecil Parkinson who was the trade secretary yes he a handwritten letter to him saying if we agree to scrap fixed commissions and all the other bits and pieces which attach to it, will you please drop the case? And And
0: Cecil says, absolutely, no problem.
1: Absolutely. We'll drop the case because actually that's the outcome we wanted. Right. At that point, the, the clock was set ticking to scrap the whole setup and replace it with essentially... A free-for-all, yeah. because one of the other things
0: that the... Uh, a free-for-all in the sense that you can all fix commissions, go. The rules of the stock exchange get changed more
1: broadly? They get completely revamped, because okay. you, instead of having two classes of member, you only have one. Right. But the other uh, key change was that outside capital could come in. So a big bank could come along and buy one of the firms of brokers, and use that as part of their integrated securities operation in London. Right. And there was a sort of mad scramble to buy the biggest brokers and jobbers. And the successful buyers were nearly all these big American banks.
0: I see. So you have what? You have a period of time after 1983. I think Big Bang is what, three years later? Yeah, 86. So, so. in between you have a kind of everyone being bought up, all these old little stockbroking partnerships, the sort of thing you used to work for being bought up Uh, by bigger firms.
1: the capital came in when Mm. the rules were changed in October 86. So they had three years to prepare, and obviously all the systems, which were in turmoil anyway as new technology was coming in. So the the old stock exchange floor was seeing an ever-diminishing share of the business and more was being done over the telephone and increasingly on data. So that part of the revolution also undermined the old system, which essentially relied on face-to-face communication.
0: I mean, I also worked briefly in the city after, actually just after Big Bang. What I saw was, there was a very strong culture around the old city, which was kind of people would drink at lunchtime financiers would tend to be fairly passive sort of figures who would wait for people to tell them what to do and then basically take the fee for doing it and the arrival of all these foreign firms we talk about Wimbledonization the idea that you know the UK is a venue but lots and lots of foreigners are coming here and winning most of the tournaments you started to see an influx of first of all lots of people who weren't the sort of Brits who'd been working in the city for generations. And then you changed, a lot of the, the culture changed. Yeah, People I mean, no longer went out to lunch for well, seven hours.
1: Quite, and it suddenly became a sort of meritocracy rather than uh, a cosy club.
0: Well, that's no good. And
1: the, you know, the, the exchange had to incorporate, yeah. the, the firms had to incorporate, and the American trading culture essentially took over. And it saw a huge expansion in employment yeah. because, as you say, these people were proactive and they would go to these large companies and suggest deals to them, yeah. something which the Brits really never quite got the hang of. Yeah. But if you look at the, the leading players now, they're all American. All the leading houses, bar one, were immediately snapped
0: up. The other thing which which seemed to change was that you had, instead of having, you talked earlier on about a club, which I think is absolutely right. I think it was a club, you know, you had the Bank of England, the governor's celebrated eyebrows going up and down and people doing what they were told. But having a sort of terrifying ten minutes in the headmaster's study from time to time <laughs> but but you end up with a with a much more legalistic system you have a you have rule books that are written, and even now we have constant debates about whether the rule books yes. work and so forth
1: i think r- rule books are an essential part of something which is international where you have people with all sorts of backgrounds, the employment in in the city today is truly multinational. Both the, the companies and the individuals are from all over the world. You couldn't really expect them to understand some slightly odd club rules. You would never have managed to create the sort of huge industrial engine, really, that the city is today.
0: In summary, you have this huge, huge change you know, out go the bowler hats, out go the kind of blue buttons and all those things, people running around the stock exchange floor. The stock exchange disappears as a venue where people kind of trade in person. And you have all these sort of cultural shifts. Do you think it went as well as could be expected?
1: Absolutely. The London Stock Exchange, which used to be a cosy club, is now a very substantial international business listed on its own exchange. The American banks may have dominated the British markets, but the financial innovation and freedom and highly paid employment they've brought set the conditions for the UK's only true world-scale economic success story for half, half a century.
0: So, a triumph of modernisation. I still <laughs> you, feel a bit sad about the uh, bowler hat, I have to say, but never mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you're still allowed to wear them, I think. <laughs> that was a long time in finance with jonathan ford and neil collins production and editing by nick hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news if you enjoyed the show please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us